there's this huge giant part of my heart that is always rooting for the underdog. Remember that I only had $8 in my account. I went from making $36,000 a year to 150. Elevation requires separation. To live authentically is to be as sovereign as possible, given that we are in these limited skin suits. Most people think that who they are is who they are. That's not who you are, it's who you became. It's not the load that breaks us down, but the way we carry it. Toxic masculinity doesn't just live in men. It is a cultural parasite that no longer serves us. And I'm gonna say something that's gonna be super controversial. to Diary of an Empath. My next guest is Preston Smiles. He is a renowned motivational speaker, author, and transformational coach who has touched the lives of countless individuals around the globe. With his infectious energy and unwavering passion for personal development, Preston empowers others to break through limitations and live their most authentic lives. Through his powerful talks, his workshops, and his writings, Preston encourages people to unleash their true potential and step into their greatness. He believes in the power of love, vulnerability, and connection, and his work inspires others to embrace their inner truth and cultivate deep, meaningful relationships with themselves and those around him. Preston has authored several best-selling books, including Love Louder, 33 Ways to Amplify Your Life, which has captivated audiences with his practical wisdom and profound insights. And he's also been featured on numerous media platforms and has shared his transformative messages with audience around the world. So without further ado, Preston, welcome to the show. <laughs> Let's go. I love it. Love the energy. So Preston, when I was preparing for this interview, I was watching some of your videos and listening to some of your story. And your story with how you got here is very intriguing, but I want to go back a little bit. What do I need to understand about the man that I'm looking at? If we're talking about your childhood and your upbringing, what do I need to know about that piece of context in your life to understand who you are? Mm, yeah. Um, so although I consider myself to be, you know, uh, uh, a sexy chocolate drop, uh, <laughs> I didn't always feel like that. And um, I kind of grew up, not even kind of, I grew up as like the, in my mind, the ugly friend, the sort of skinny, scrawny, ugly friend who then also um, was in special education and uh, because of dyslexia and learning disabilities, disabilities that I had, um, there's this huge, huge, giant part of my heart that is always rooting for the underdog. There's a huge, giant part of my heart that gets what it feels like to be forgotten and left behind and not valued because you don't look like how society thinks you should. And so the reason why love is such a big deal for me and why I spend so much time giving out free content and making sure that people feel seen and heard and truly understand these universal principles and these concepts is because very early uh, I was dealing with my own demons, if you may, and then and shame and trauma. And also my dad's, his dad's and his dad's and my mom's and Children are so adaptable, as we know, that I quickly realized that my parents were so stressed out 
and had so much on their plates that there wasn't room for me to be stressed out or for me to add stress to their lives. And so I became an out of the way kid. I became a chameleon, a people pleaser, and uh, really almost like, um, you know, at home I was this sweet, sweet kid. And the moment I get outside, I turn into like a fire breathing dragon and I spray paint on walls and get in fights. And I joined a gang very early and I started smoking weed when I was 11. And I was just like, yo, like I need to feel something. I need to be, you know, to, to express the fullness of me. And so I, I had this split where home meant not safe and streets meant safe, um, ish. And, uh, all that has given me and blessed me with the opportunity of uh, being able to not only light myself on fire and demonstrate what it looks like to uh, authentically show up as whoever you are in whatever condition you're in, but I get to hold other people through that. And it's been a, a real blessing. And uh, yeah, I, I feel very taken care of by the universe in that way. I relate a lot to that because very much like I grew up in Chicago and when I was growing up, I felt like in my household, because there was a lot of chronic stress, chaos, some abuse, and I was constantly, my nervous system was always activated at home. So I started kind of going off, doing my own thing. I was experimenting with drugs, promiscuous at a very young age. I mean, I was a wild teen. When I look back and I compare my 14-year-old daughter to myself, I'm like, holy shit, where, were, where was my mom? Like, where were our parents? I was doing really wild things. But when I look back at it, I'm like, it is because my nervous system was always activated at home. But for some reason, when I was around other people or out in the streets doing other stuff, I felt safer doing those things, even though it wasn't that safe than I did at home. So I, I really relate a lot to that. And I think a lot of empaths or like people with really high empathy tend to kind of go through life like that and then either end up helping others or kind of go into these people pleasing tendencies. And I found for me that I wasn't living my true authentic life until like a light bulb went off for me. I was reading about around age 33, there was like an, a an incident or a time in your life where things just kind of went off for you. I know for me, when I got to a certain age, it's like things just started to align and it all started to make sense. What was going on at age 33? What happened and why did those things change for you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was a combination of a lot of things not working out the way my personality wanted them to work out. And, um, you know, we talk about the whisper, the tap and the two by four. And I was not paying attention to the whisper and the tap I just sort of ignored. And so uh, in my languaging, my higher self hit me with the two by four and gave me a dose or a reality of like, hey, you are a really beautiful soul who's here to do amazing, great things and you're doing them now. And it was semi somewhat in an echo chamber. Like I was doing ayahuasca ceremonies every month, twice a month. I was doing transcendental meditation. I was doing all the stuff that felt comfortable for me while simultaneously ignoring and uh, pretending like I didn't know that the identity around worthiness when it comes to money, when it comes to business, when it comes to the identity of deserving a seat at the table, mm -hmm. that 
right? That the underdog in me was still playing from the like, you're, lo- you're lower than everybody. I was still operating from toxic shame, even though it was dressed up in all this beautiful clothes and I was helping other people. There was still a big part of me that didn't believe I deserved to be there because remember, I'm the stupid kid. Mm-hmm. I'm the one that can't read like everyone else. And so right around that time, I met the woman of my dreams and uh, I had already made a decision because I was and I'll give you a brief story. I was I was uh, coming from surfing one day and I realized that I was out of gas and uh, I had this beat up Prius and I remembered that I only had $8 in my account. And it was just a moment like, yo, you're, you're a 32-year-old man with $8 in your account. You are able-bodied. You have a beautiful heart. You are super giving and loving and you have $8 in your account. And so I put $4 in that in my tank and I kept the other four so I didn't go get uh, overdrawn. But that was the moment for me where I was like, you know what? I'm going to take some steps back. I'm going to reevaluate all of this and go back home to my mom and, and really take the money that I'm using on the apartment and all the other things I'm doing and put that into really being supported and looking at the areas that I don't really want to look at. And that year... I had one of the biggest breakthroughs that is still going right now, where I went from making $36,000 a year to 150. And then that next year, uh, I went to 300. And then the next year I went to 600. And then the next year I jumped from 600 to 1 million and I haven't stopped. And the, the money is awesome. But it's the principles that's that's even more awesome. That's the stuff I teach my kids, right? Elevation requires separation, right? I separated from small thinking. I separated. I stopped talking to my dad for quite a while. I told one of my best friends, bro, I love you, but I need to take some space, right? I, I literally separated from the environment that I was swimming in and placed myself. I paid my way in. I didn't have these, you know, friends in high places. I used my money to get in their rooms, and I said, whatever you got, I want some of, right? I want, a, I want a version of that. I want an aspect of that. And so teach me, hold me, uh, coach me, mentor me. And it worked. I bet on me. I bet on myself and I bet on service. And, you know, for me, that was one of the, the, the biggest catalyst moments in my life. Because right now, you know, I'm sitting in one of the five houses that we own in this neighborhood. My mom is about 12 houses down from where I'm at right now. And I bought her that house um, and retired her. Um, So, you know, 10 years later, I'll I'll be 43 this year. 10 years later, um, nine years later, I bought her her first ever brand new house and told her she never has to work again. And so it's, it's a really beautiful time for me, especially to see you know, what happens when we, when we lean in and do the scary work. That was very vulnerable for me, right? It felt like do or die. It felt like now or never. And uh, in some ways it was. You said something that stood out to me. I was never taught this. And I feel like, especially for people like us who came from, you know, really humble means, we weren't taught these types of things. We weren't taught that wealth could be achievable. We weren't taught that we could attract certain things in our lives. And I was watching a video where you read a book by Esther Hicks 
And, you know, it was kind of like, even when I started reading about those things and, and started learning about, it, I'm like, how come I didn't know this stuff? This was never something that was even, I didn't have anybody in my life that ever taught me about, you know, things that you can attract, law of attraction. And when I started to understand it, it was like a light bulb went off and my entire world completely turned around. And I feel like a lot of people are not exposed to this and it's really difficult. But I think when we start to expose ourselves, the universe just starts to naturally align and we start to live a more authentic life. How do you define living authentically? What does that mean to you? Mm, yeah, it's tricky because everything is touching everything. Everything is affecting everything. So I don't necessarily believe in, in blank canvases, but uh, to live authentic is to be true to oneself, right? Whatever the self is in that moment. To live authentically is to be as sovereign as possible, given that we are in these limited skin suits with these limited perspectives, right? What's uh, wrong it was, 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 you know, they used to tell um, pregnant women that it's a good idea to smoke cigarettes for stress while you're pregnant, right? That was considered right at that time. Um, and so right and wrong is relative and just like uh, authenticity is. The question is, is are you, are, are those truly our thoughts, which are informing our words and our actions and, you know, also informing our mood and the energy from which we live from is that yours right one of the things i teach is there are four aspects of what it means to be human we are biological beings right we are linguistic beings which means we build worlds with language we use language to describe feelings right without the linguistics of door and doorknob getting out of this room would be very challenging. But the moment I have these linguistics, it opens up worlds. Number three, we are social and historical beings born into beliefs and interpretations. So we have beliefs and interpretations based on church, based on primary caregivers, based on man who molested, based on X, Y, and Z. And so most people think, and the fourth one is we're quantum beings, but I'm going to go back to number three. Most people think that, that who they are is who they are. And I often remind them through my coaching, that's not who you are, it's who you became, right? That is a coping strategy. That is a mechanism that you figured out how to do. You became the cheerer upper because your parents were super depressed, right? You became invisible and shy and quiet because your household was dangerous, you became an out-of-the-way kid um, because your parents were stressed out, right? There's we, we cope and we do it so long and we wear the mask for so long that we think that's who we are, but it's truly not. Um, and so authenticity is as the, the level of sovereignty that we can possibly have in any given moment mixed with beingness, right? I, I don't really think we can miss. And even when we're not being authentic, it's authentic to us given our level of awareness. So it's a tricky, it's a tricky question, um, but it is, it is my life's work. I'll tell you that much is to, to have the level of honesty that my kids have, right? To, to be as present as they are when they can't get a toy or a cookie, you know? Um, I'm going to tell you, this is not a funny story, but it kind of is. Uh, we were doing, we went to monster trucks. I took my son, my whole family to monster trucks. And we were leaving early and there was a guy with his kid, his wife, and he was on crutches. 
and he had one leg that was missing. And my son started like walking like him. And then he was like, that's weird. Where'd his leg go? And he's like screaming <laughs> as loud as possible. <laughs> oh, oh my God. And the dude, the dude stops for a moment and he's like, it is weird, huh? And he like <laughs> plays along with it. And I was like, oh my God, dude, thank you thank for you, that. Thank you, right? Oh. Yeah, because it can go anyway. <laughs> Seven. I love the authenticity of kids because they're just so, they're just, you know, kids are, I, I truly believe in the concept that like everybody's born truly good. You know, some people like, I know that this is controversial because like you got like really fucked up people in this world, but I truly believe that we start out innately good, you know, that people Mm -hmm. have good intentions, but our environment, different things in our life really shape us, including I'm a big person of epigenetics and that trauma can be passed down in our genes. And, you know, I think for a lot of people, they start to define themselves and label themselves based off their trauma. Like this is, this is not what I went through. This is who I am now. And I think that's where we need to draw the line and be very careful that you are not your trauma. Yes, you went through it. It's not your fault Mm -hmm. that you went through it, but this doesn't define who you are. This doesn't become your identity. And that's where I think we have to be very careful of that. So for people that are listening and maybe they've had past trauma, maybe they've gone through breakups or maybe they're going through something and they're trying to connect with their most authentic selves. They're trying to love and accept themselves. I know this is a loaded question and this is really, it's not a one size fits all, but where does someone even start to, Mm. we we hear these things on the internet, just love yourself, just Mm -hmm. love yourself. Mm -hmm. I say it. Yes, you have to put yourself first. You have to love yourself. You have to embody self-love. But what does that mean? And how does somebody even begin to cultivate those qualities? Yes. So I'll give you, I guess, what would be considered an, an, an analogy or a metaphor. I'm not sure which one, but there isn't anybody I've ever met that doesn't have trauma. So let's just, we'll just start with the baseline that everybody's experienced some level of trauma, whether it's shock trauma, developmental trauma, you know, acute trauma. There's, there's things, right, that, that occur in our lives whether it's a, a messed up pap smear or a sister who's the smart one and you're considered this or, you know, you, your parents don't tell you they love you or your mom regretted or was pissed that she had to breastfeed you and your body remembers the, 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 that thing, right? We all have trauma. So some of us, and I'll put myself in this, have been through a bit more than others and which means oftentimes that our hypervigilance is a little more on point, right? We're scanning to make sure that never happens again. And in doing so, uh, sometimes we can create more drama and trauma and pain out of trying to protect ourselves from the very thing that we're creating. So the name of the game when it comes to like really uh, loving oneself and putting oneself first has to start with being regulated. And what I mean by regulated is, is if I'm in hypervigilance, which means I'm scanning for danger, I'm scanning for whether you are going to tell me you love me back or, you know, did you like that post on Instagram and what does that mean? And you, you like women like that? Is that who you are? You're just like that kind of guy? Like the, it's the subtle ways in which I'm, I'm scanning for danger, right? 
if I'm in hypervigilance, that means that my amygdala has fired off and I am in fight, flight, freeze, or appease, and I am dysregulated. If I'm dysregulated, that means I have less oxygen going to my brain, right? All the energy and um, certain parts of my brain have shut down, and I have a bunch of energy in my thighs and in my hands so I can run or fight back. And so putting oneself first, truly loving oneself would be moving your physiology, like literally moving, right? If I'm experiencing anything that feels like it's too much, too soon, too fast, or too little, right? I move my actual body. If I'm sitting like this, I move like this. If I'm in this room, I go to the next room. If you can't do that, regardless, we have to return to breath. The breath has to go all the way into the bottom of our belly, right? calm, deep breaths, re-regulating ourselves. Sometimes it takes 20 minutes, sometimes it takes four hours, and sometimes it takes four days to get back to homeostasis. And so the game, right, using that metaphor or analogy, some of us are out at sea and we can see the shore, but the waves are crazy. And we've been doggy paddling for a while, right? People try to figure out relationships while at, at, out at sea. People try to make decisions about their lives while out at sea with no life raft. What I suggest is get to solid ground. Get yourself regulated. Get yourself in your joy space, your happy space. Get yourself to neutral before you make a decision about your relationships, where you make a decision about your career, before you make a decision about who and what you think you are. Most people are so traumatized and so living from that trauma body that they're making decisions from that space that don't mm. truly serve their higher self. Side note, did you guys know that I'm not only a therapist, but I'm also a professional tarot reader? It's not exactly me hovering over a crystal ball telling your future. It's a tool to connect with your guides and your higher self to help you in certain areas of your life. Tarot genuinely changed my life and it can potentially change yours too. Click on the link in this podcast for more info. Okay, back to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Ooh, facts. That's facts. You know, so I wrote something down when you were talking. There's a couple things that I want to I want to go into, but I wrote down toxic masculinity. And the reason why I wrote that down is as you're speaking, I just want to give you a compliment. I'm very impressed with just your self-awareness. And I am going to be 100% honest with you. Majority of my clients are women. 97% of my listeners are women. And it's, it's not, to, and I don't know if it's because here's my theory on it. I think that Men are vulnerable and they have, they're emotional. They are completely capable of being just as emotional and vulnerable as women. But I think that society has taught men in particular, especially men of color, that um, there is a stigma with therapy. There is a stigma to showing your emotions. And, you know, I think it's getting better. But I think that because of those stigmas, a lot of men in particular have a harder time expressing your emotions. I actually just want to get your thoughts on that because it's very refreshing to just see somebody who's very open and self-aware. And I think we need more of that. We need more people teaching these types of things. How do you feel about toxic masculinity? Do you feel like it's real? Uh, real-ish. Okay. I think that there is a culture that we all have participated in by way of film, television, music, um, even, even, you know, these Catholic priests that are molesting these little boys and stuff. That's a part of 
what we can consider toxic masculinity or rape culture. Because when you denounce something, when you, re when you resist something, you're really just putting more energy into it. And so I think our whole overarching idea around sex and sexuality is so backwards and messy and not in a healthy way that it produces these offshoots of things that we can point at and say, ah, that's the thing. And you are correct, right? If, if we don't have, it's very challenging to be something that you haven't seen, right? We're, we're looking for demonstrations, less about what you're saying and more about who you're being, right? And when we see the Clint Eastwoods and the Dirty Harrys and the Rambos and the, the wrestlers and the, the basketball players and the X, Y, and Z, all the heroes on TV and film and television, these stoic men who are lone wolves who figure it out and beat the dark bad guys and, you know, shoot up all the Indians and find a way to save the day without ever crying, without ever feeling, without ever consulting the community, without showing the part where their counterpart, queen, is the one that helped them, right? I say this all the time. I wouldn't be where I am today without my wife. She's the one who was in position. She had money. She already owned a house when I met her. I was broke. I moved in with my mom when I met her. Mm. But it was her consciousness. It was her understanding of entrepreneurship and business. She grew up in that. Everybody I knew worked for somebody. Mm -hmm. That was completely new to me. Straight blue collar bottom, right? And I meet this person who has a whole different perspective and she helped lift me up. She built my first website. She, she fanned my flames. And I took that baton and I ran with it. And so these are the things we're not, we haven't been seeing up until now. I am a, um, a, a, a response, just like you're a response, right? This is the universe's way. This is the, our ancestors. These are our higher selves. These are our future generations saying somebody, everybody, right? It's a, it, it, they said the second coming won't be a person. It will be a community. It's, it's everybody's coming to, to, to take their part. I say to my groups when I start my coaching containers, I say the same thing in the beginning and the end, which is, it's not the load that breaks us down, but the way we carry it. Mm. And each of us has a lot that we're carrying. The question is, is will you hand it off? Will you allow yourself to be co-regulated? Will you let me, us, as a community, hold you in that? Because if you do, it, the whole thing becomes lighter. And I take my part or a part of your part and part of theirs, and we all holding the table up. And we can eat from there. So uh, it's a yes and a no. I, I think that we talked about this. I just was on a show two hours ago. Uh, a buddy of mine, Adrian Grenier, who was the uh, Grenier, who was the star of uh, a show called Entourage. Um, which I was remember that, very, Yes. So, so we were just filming a show called L'Entourage because he's in my mastermind with all these other epic dudes that I uh, have. And we were talking about this very thing. And we started talking about the Me Too movement. And I shared that, you know, when that first hit, I was like, oh, shit, um, there's going to be a few people that say some crazy stuff about me because there's things I did when I was 14. There's things I did when I was 19. There's things I did when I was 23 that I'm definitely not proud of. Mm. Um, and, you know, it didn't because I, at some level, I've taken ownership of all of those things energetically and reached out to those people. Mm -hmm. um, but um, 
we were all saying, and I'll speak for myself, how grateful and, and, and that that movement is a response, right? It, it, it no longer works. Um, and toxic masculinity doesn't just live in men, right? It is a, a cultural parasite that no longer serves us. Yeah. And I'm going to say something that's going to be super controversial, that's okay. uh, especially, especially to the moms out there. Um, one of the things that I contend, and I have multiple stories about this. I'm actually going to write a book called uh, Mama's Boy at some point. Um, but uh, one of the things that I say is that well-meaning mothers beat out the parts of the masculine that they were abused by. Mm. And, in, and in doing so, fueled unconsciously porn, sex trafficking, and all the other crazy shit that's happening. Now, I'm not blaming all of this on moms. Because where the fuck were the dads at, right? Mm-hmm. We, we, there's, it can keep going, right? There's so many layers to it. But when you think about the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, the way that the life was set up, you spent more time with your mom than anybody else. And, and divorce, so crazy, right? So these moms, my mom included, my dad cheated nonstop, did drugs, just he did some messed up stuff and I could feel the pressure of me not being like him. I could feel the part of her that was like, and I'll tell you one short story. We were walking down the street one day. I was probably seven or eight. And she said, Preston, where am I at? And I said, you're next to me. And she said, Preston, look again, where am I at? And I said, you're standing on the sidewalk next to me. And she said, exactly. I'm on the outside. Mm. You never let a woman stand on the outside. Right? Well, the message I heard was when a woman, when women are around, I'm on duty. When women are around, my life doesn't matter as much. Oh, wow. That's an interesting perspective. I didn't even think about yes. that. It's like literally... So, because I had to unpack this. I've been unpacking all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff, right? I'm my best client. And one of the things that came up was like, why do you feel so scared around women? And it came back to one of those memories where it's like, oh, because you're on duty. You're, you're not allowed to be you when women are around. You need to protect and serve and da 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 And mm. it's like, oh, okay, I see what's happening here. There's, that's why there's so much separation. And my mom was trying to make sure I wasn't like my dad. That's what she was doing. Mm-hmm. She was like, this is going to be one of the best humans ever, which is beautiful. And she beat the wild out of me, right? The, the, the wild boy was not accepted in this Virgo household. And so this, this little messy boy who wants to flip shit over and, and play in the dirt and fuck shit up, I had to be perfect in that space. So what did I do? I created a double life which is what all these men are doing now. That's why porn and all this stuff, all of it. When I coach men, I'm like, bro, I know what the fuck you do. Right? I know what you do. Don't think I'm stupid. Right? And, and when we get to that space, it gives them a safe space. They go, okay, you got me. Right? And then we can talk. Now we can get to shore. 
Yeah, that's first of all, thank you for sharing that. It, that is so powerful. And I think that it just gives another perspective and just an understanding that life is not black and white. Things are not black and white. It, we we can't label things. And it's just so much bigger than I think what we could. People like labels because it's easier to label. I'm either this or I'm that. People are either on the left side or on the right side. And it's just not that simple. And although I don't have a son, I have a daughter. And, you know, but when I look at my upbringing, you know, growing up in Chicago, I was very similar and had a very chaotic household. I ended up going into the Marines and the Marine Corps being around nothing but men. It really like put this label on myself that like I have to be better than because if I don't be successful, I'm not going to be looked at as good enough. I'm not going to have anybody to help me. So I have to be a perfectionist at everything that I do. And then looking back at even my career and where I'm at thus far, like, yes, has it helped me? Of course, but at the detriment to my relationships, to my energy, to me as a mother. And I had to really take a step back because even looking at my past relationships, yes. Okay. Yes. Do we have some toxicity in our generation and men and parental generation? Yes. But I had to take my responsibility in that. And I'm never saying ladies, it's not your fault that you were in a situation, but I was choosing to stay in situations and relationships that were fucking toxic. And why was I choosing these relationships? Why was I staying despite seeing yellow flag, red flag, red flag, red flag in your face, <laughs> run? And I'm like, no, I think I'm going to stick around. And <laughs> I feel like we are taught to kind of accept certain behavior. We want to be in these codependent relationships. So for you, what advice would you give to people who are struggling or trying to navigate relationships or maybe are coming out of toxic relationships? How do we start to heal? Because a lot of people don't want to be in these situations, but they find themselves repeating patterns. So what do we do? Yes, yes. Yeah, this is a deep one. And I, I love that you said the black and white thing. People often ask me on podcasts and different interviews, like, what's one of the biggest lessons you've learned in, you know, in your 40s or whatever the case may be? And I always say the same thing, which is how much gray there is. Right? I used to live, I used to live in black and white. And, and now I'm like, oh, almost everything is gray. Everything is like, depending on the perspective you're looking at, right? Um, so I should start there. Number two, oftentimes people stay in scenarios past their expiration or due date uh, because at some level deep down inside, they don't believe that they'll ever find somebody to love them again, right? Um, and so sometimes we'll take scraps. We'll take anything over no thing. Um, because all of us are so desperate to experience um, love. It's such an addictive, beautiful drug. Um, and we're social beings and we need each other. We need each other. It's wired in us. So how you beat that and work with that is, uh, for me, I help my clients remember that um, there's no way they can miss there's no, um, how do I want to say this? What I help them do is take inventory. Because oftentimes they'll say, oh, but if I leave or X, Y, and Z, then what if this, da, da, da. And I'll say, okay, so this is the first time you've ever had a breakup. Well, no, I was dating Jason before this. Okay, did you think Jason was like it? Did you stick around longer because you were afraid that God would forsake you and you'd be the one and only person on planet Earth that you would never get another person to love you? 
right? And so it starts to, I help them take inventory by, by actually looking at the past, whether it's directly connected to a relationship or a relationship with a boss, a friendship in college that you thought you couldn't survive without or a friend group that you thought you, you'd never make it out of. And then you find the next friend group or the next iteration of your evolution. And you're like, dope, now I'm attached to this again. Right. And so if we can look back and really look at like what has occurred every time a death happens, rebirth, right? Every time something gets quote unquote taken away, something new and beautiful and interesting gets put in its place. And so for me, I don't attach to almost anything other than my kids. It's so interesting. I can live these principles all day, every day, even with my wife. Like I would, I genuinely desire to be with her till, you know, 110 or whatever. And if she walked away, I'd be devastated and then I'd get right back up. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I don't think that the universe is done with me. I don't think that I'm the one person that's going to be forsaken that, you know, the God or whatever you call it. It's like, uh, you, you, uh, no, not that one. They only got to date so-and-so, you know, like it just doesn't live in my consciousness. And I think that when we can understand the paradigms that we're entering these things with, it makes it easier to trust that what's next, right, is something better or something equal. Right? I said on Instagram yesterday, we don't know enough to make decisions about whether something's working out or not working out. Right? That is, even, even what we call, it's like people try, try to label people toxic. I don't believe in toxic people. I believe in toxic combinations. Right? And sometimes people can have toxic patterns where, you know, with my wife and I, we've been on the brink of divorce especially uh, a year ago, we got our asses kicked. And every therapist, every coach we sat with, they were like, yo, you guys have like the perfect bite. Like her goody two shoes, straight A overachiever thing fits perfect with your, I'm the dummy that nobody sees or likes thing. And so like we, we trigger each other in the exact perfect way to call out all of the shadows that need to be loved on and healed. So there's a lot I said there, but I'll, I'll stop there. No, so you know, here, here I have a good question for you because – all right, let me ask the question first and I'm going to go into why I'm asking this to you. If you were to meet your yeah. wife before the age of 33, let's say, I don't know, five years before that, do you feel it would have worked out the same? And the reason why I'm asking you this is because no. I feel like – so I feel like a lot of people, they don't have a sense of identity and when they don't have a sense of identity of themselves – they tend to lose themselves in relationships. And, and if that relationship no longer works, that's when it's like they're losing their whole world because they attach themselves. And I saw a, an Instagram post the other day that I found interesting. And the girl was talking about money and how you should only be dating, you know, guys who make the same amount of money as you or more. Stop dating a broke guy. And in my mind, I'm like, well, you know, here's the thing. I can date a guy that has money but has absolutely no sense of identity whatsoever. And there's no foundation for a solid relationship. So why wouldn't that yes. have worked for you five years ago or five years before you yeah, met your there's, wife? There's no possible way. And you're dead spot on with all of this. Um, Cause the universe 
has never and will never make a mistake. Even the worst things that have ever occurred on the, in, in my life and on planet Earth, none of those things are a mistake. It doesn't do that. It is. And so um, it wouldn't have worked five years prior because it didn't. It wasn't. It had to be in the exact timing that it was in. And we still, right, there's, there's, um, it makes sense that we quote unquote lose ourselves. We do blend, right? We do, we are influenced by each other. But I think you're spot on with if I'm starting from this car, this amount of followers, this person, this relationship makes me valuable, worthy, anything, then we're playing the outside in game. Mm -hmm. There's only two games ever happening, inside out or outside in. The moment I'm assigning my value to something out there, we're already starting at a deficit and we're screwed. Oh, yes, that is so true. Social media has really, so I have like love hate thing with social media. I feel like social media, just like you, we're content creators. We, you know, it's part of who we are. We get to reach people. We get to help people. We get to be in service of others. And even better if you can monetize it and make a living off something you love to do while being in service of others. However, I also feel like social media is a library. And for me, even though I know that I have gotten rid of the junk on my social media because it's my library. I still find my times myself at times comparing or like, why is this podcast doing better than what am I, what do I need to do? Or why does this woman look so lean? And I've been working so hard, you know, so I feel like social media has really, you know, kind of put a damper on things. And we started to identify our self-worth with external circumstances. If you get the car, you'll be happy. If you get the trophy wife, you'll be happy. If you get the house, you'll be happy. For you, if people are kind of struggling with those external identities or, you know, struggling with uh, social media, what's your advice to them? Where do they start to focus on that happiness from the internal as opposed to validation from external? Because we've been taught by society, capitalism, that we should be getting external validation. So that's a hard cycle to break. It really is. And I do this thing that's sort of like a morbid um, but it, it's, it's also a gift and I'll give you just a little bit of backstory cause I know we're coming close to time. Uh, 2015, I watched, uh, I listened to an inner voice that led me to a particular part of New York while I was there visiting for a wedding. And it led me quite a few places. And I ended up in this one spot. And the moment I went in the spot, I went upstairs. The voice said, go back downstairs. I go back downstairs. I open the door. I hear, no, boom. And I see this woman flying through the air. She lands on her head. Her brains splatter out the back of her head. And I instantly know why I'm there. It was like, oh, there it is. And so I ran to her. And helped her transition from this side to the other side. And since that day, since that moment, that gift, right? We celebrate birthdays. We celebrate when a baby is born. We often don't celebrate when someone leaves, only when they come. But since that day, um, the closeness, because I watched her try. I watched her body try to stay here. Like I watched her fight for this life. 
And being that close to death, and that wasn't the first time, but that was probably one of the bloodiest. Um, now fast forward to every moment that I get with anybody. Right? I don't. It's a miracle out of 8 billion people for you and I to be here doing this at this time. Mm-hmm. What a gift. Yes. Right? And then now extend that to my children. Right? There's this, I, like I said earlier, I'm pretty good at the law of de- detachment. Right? I'm, I, I ride waves. I flow. I'm like, let's go. Right? Life, I know I can't miss, not in this lifetime. Right? But there's this other part of me that's like so attached to my children and them having this epic dad and this beautiful demonstration of manhood and love. And so sometimes I'll, not even sometimes, a lot, I think about what if this was the last day? What if this was the last month? What if this is the last year? Right? Um, and that brings so much presence and, and it, it, um, it sobers up all the other stupid shit. We think that these things matter, but when, when we get down to the nitty gritty, when we get to life or death, which is really just life, but life or not life in these skin suits, it instantly sobers up why, what the, what do I care about a follower for? Mm -hmm. What do I care about some car? It's awesome. It's a fun toy, but that's no different than the Ninja Turtle or the Barbie or the jacket that you wanted three years ago that's now trash or belongs to someone else. It's no different. All these materials come and go, but what remains is the memories and the love and the essence that we get to swim in together, right? To choose life at this time in human history, to have people, your neighbors, your friends. I know all my neighbors. I know everybody in every neighborhood I ever live in. Same. Right? I'm here right? This is not a coincidence. There are no mistakes. Every leaf on this beautiful money tree is not a mistake. They're all doing what they're supposed to be doing. And the, and the fruit doesn't belong to the tree. It belongs to the ecosystem. So I just, I, 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 I caution and I remind each of us that if you can remember that this thing is fleeting, that every minute, every moment, every step you take is one step and one minute and one moment closer to the moment where you leave these physical skin suits, then you would take this moment in a little different. That, that's how I sober up and, and, and like come to the truth of my being. Uh, Preston, thank you for your energy and your wisdom and just for being here and sharing with us and and doing what you do because I think you're making an impact on the world and I feel so strongly that when you can even if you can impact one life but God if you can impact thousands or millions then that's where we're making the changes that need to happen one person at a time but not just with one person with generations because that is how the domino effect happens so my gratitude to you for coming on the show and having this conversation with me and just thank you for doing what you do. Likewise, I genuinely appreciate um, this opportunity and I, I want to say thank you and and congratulations to all the listeners because you found somebody who's doing the work, right? It, it, for those of you who are consuming this, I, I don't know if you really understand what it takes to be in the position um, to bring this stuff forward. And so again, thank you for all the stuff we never see and all the extra work that you do on yourself 
and the technical stuff. Thank you for sidestepping all of the egoic stuff that has you wanting to quit some days, some weeks. (laughs) Yep. And continuing to give and serve without withholding. Right? Like this is the type of stuff that what if, what if this conversation sparks something in somebody that then touches 10 other people and then opens up a relationship that would have never been. And it's all because you said yes, you. So thank you for that. Truly. You're like, give me like, you make me emotional. I so needed to hear that message. You don't, you don't know. There's like every day, at least once a day that I'm like, fuck this. This <laughs> this is like, this is taking up my time, my energy, like dealing with sponsors and trying to get sponsored is freaking hard, you know? And it's like when I hear, because I'm a, I'm a, um, an evidence-based person. So like if someone tells me, Hey, this changed my relationship. Great. That keeps me going for another month. But you know, we don't hear it that often. And the, the even when you saying thank you for the technical stuff, that's the first time I've ever heard that from anybody because it takes so much time and energy. And I do all my own stuff. I edit, I make my reels. I, I'm a team of one. I'm going to manifest a team though, where I'm putting that to the universe. But thank you for acknowledging that. That's, I really appreciate that. That's the first time I think anybody's ever done that. Um, Real quick Mm. before we, we close, where can people find you? I'm going to link everything, but are you working on anything special? Do you have any classes, Mm. retreats going on? Please help my listeners uh, where they can find you. Yeah. My wife and I do these workshops called uh, the bridge experience, which, uh, you know, not just to me, but many people, um, would say is one of the best workshops in the entire world. Um, it's trauma, it's shame, it's shadow work, it's deep up leveling, it's super fun, it's interesting, it's sensual, it's sexual, it's all these things. Uh, we have one of those coming up in October uh, at, you can go to um, thebridgemethod.org, bridge, bridgemethod.org, or just at Preston smiles on anything and you can find me, um, there. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Appreciate All right, it. Perfect. We'll link everything. All right, Preston, thank you. And, uh, once again, thanks for tuning in for a diary of an empath.